If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. This is our weekly two cents segment where we talk about the big three property news stories of the week. I'm joined by Mr. Chris Bates. Chris, how are you? Mate, Pete, good to see you. Life's good here. How how are you doing over there? Yeah, pretty good. I've been uh, over the past week, just been up in Cairns. First time the kids have been up there actually, did the uh, Caranda Railroad and the cable cars and Got out onto the reef, absolutely fantastic. So uh, can't complain. And um, yeah, the, I guess uh, the kids took to the snorkeling pretty well. Um, so yeah. yeah, back to the grindstone this week though. Um, how about yourself? Oh, I actually went up to um, at the Australian Mortgage Awards on uh, Friday. We didn't actually win the the National Broker of the Year. We uh, a good friend of mine actually won it, which was which was good. Um, and then went up to Newcastle to to see my uh, my mum who lives up there and. Uh, yeah, had some coffees down Mary at the beach. It's a good, such a good spot up there. So, uh, yeah, but, and things have been pretty interesting at work. We've had, um, you know, double figures in terms of number of purchases last week. You know, month on month, our, our number of clients buying is is really increasing. I mean, it naturally does at this time of year, but it's really, uh, there's a real urgency there. If the buyer finds the right property, they don't want to stuff around and they, they're keen to make offers. I think that's, um, and you can see that. So we've already got very low listings. And then there's, you know, enough people urgent, you know, enough buy urgency there, I would say, right now versus what there was even three or four months ago. So, yeah, been a busy time. Has your team been buying much or what's been happening? Yeah, same. It's really interesting, you know, because if you went back oh, 12 or 15 months ago and you've told me the cash rate would be above 4%, I would never have believed um 
the resilience in the market is just uh, wild. You know, but uh, we've been buying more, more inquiries than we can handle in in, in some cases. And uh, yeah, interesting. You mentioned Newcastle. It seems to be one of the real popular spots at the moment. Central Coast, Newcastle. Um, so yeah, look, uh, we're getting stuff bought as well. So like, yeah, the, the market has held up way better than I would have expected. Everything considered, and uh, I guess you know we've talked about some of the reasons for that um, over recent podcasts, but particularly just the, the the low number of listings. You know, there's just not that many people have sold, and uh, the the stock's being absorbed. So um, yeah, look, it's it's been pretty interesting. So. Um, well, let's uh, let's rip into the three new stories of the week, shall we? So, uh, first one: uh, mortgage monster swallows one in five households. So that was a piece that uh, came via some research from Chris Joy of Coolabar Capital, um, saying that basically one in five borrowers is screwed with debt repayments exceeding their income. So we'll take a bit of a deep dive into that one. Uh, second story. Um, Indian students rush Canada and Australia. So big boom in Indian students. Um, it's one of the big sort of demographic trends at the moment. So we'll have a bit of a look at that. And then also there's a Fin Review article on the investor exodus out of the market. But as we've kind of already touched on, that's a bit of a uh, it's a double-edged story that, yes, there are some investors looking to uh, sell particularly those who are cash flow sensitive but there's actually more investors coming back now it seems so uh, things going in both directions and uh, not such a clear-cut story on a net basis uh chris let's start with this um story mortgage monster swallowing one in five households so this was covered in uh, macro business by leith van onselen and um here's the uh the sort of the tagline chris joy from coolabar capital believes one in five borrowers is screwed with debt repayments exceeding their incomes so currently 13 percent of all borrowers have negative cash flows um after uh, paying their living costs things like private health and school fees and that's up from just three percent of borrowers in 2022 and if the reserve bank was to lift the cash rate to 5.1 percent then they judged that 17 to 18% of borrowers would have a negative cash flow. So what do you make of all that, Chris? Look, um, I mean, Chris Joy's been really successful in, uh, I guess, forecasting the Australian property market over the last, you know, for a long time, to be honest. I would say that he's he picked, you know, the top and the downs, et cetera, in, you know, previous cycles. In this cycle, he was, you know, very negative coming into, um, you know, 2022, and he got it right. You know, he said that, you know, once rates start going up, prices are going to fall dramatically. And But he said, you know, if, if rates go up 1%, prices will fall maybe 15 to 25%, but rates went up 4% and they sort of fell 10%. And now, you know, it's it's likely within a month or two, Australian house prices are going to be higher than what they were um, at the peak. So we're going to have an all-time high, which is pretty crazy, which is what we spoke about. So, yeah, Chris Joy has been doing a lot of commentary around the negative cash flow and, you know, how households are, are holding up. And, um, yeah, absolutely, you would have to, you have to say that debt stress is there, you know, particularly if rates stay, stay high and they stay high for, for longer, then there's absolutely going to be families that are really struggling. We can't see that in current data, though. We can't see arrears numbers, you know, besides that the non-banks are a little bit higher. We, you know, even investors can offload properties. And so if they are struggling, um, you know, on our book, we've got no arrears. Well, one client, unfortunately, with um, health issues that the bank's helping anyway. So, um, yeah, I just don't see this this debt problem 
um, cash flow problem, you know, to be uh, something that's just going to all of a sudden turn into this big, you know, uh, you know, thing that will crash the market, right? Absolutely, you're going to see people, you know, over the next couple of years really struggle if rates stay, you know, where they are or go higher. That doesn't mean they're going to rush to the exit. They're going to use all their buffers. They're going to use any other shares. They'll get access to family. Um, and then you're right, some people will have to sell, but we're selling particularly houses into decade-low decade listing numbers. Um, and when the market's going up, when the market's basically screaming for more properties on the market, so it's not like it's got an oversupply problem, it's got an undersupply problem. Um, then you've got the building issues and all these uh, rental crisis and um, that, are, that are encouraging people to enter the market. And so, yeah, absolutely, there's people, and you could focus on these numbers and get really excited and go, okay, all these people are going to rush to sell because they've got negative cash flows. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. And this fixed rate cliff that everyone's talking about is really just not happening, right? We're not seeing this rush of properties on the market. The final thing I would say is that if the borrower believes that it's only a short-term problem, i.e. they've lost their job, and, and unemployment staying very low is supporting this, right? Because if unemployment really jumped up, well, your negative cash flow numbers are really running out and the banks are unlikely to want to support you if you know, one or both of you aren't working. Um, but even if you're in this situation where you, know, you can't afford your mortgage, doesn't mean you have to sell. You can work with the bank. He'll give you a payment holiday. You can try to ride. Um, and it makes sense to try to not sell right now because you go, well, if I sell six to 12 months later when the market's going up, that could be quite a big difference to my sale price. So you'll do everything you can to hold on knowing that you might not be able to get back in. So, um, yeah, I think these these make great headlines. They make great stories and the RBA data backs it up. But what does that actually mean for the property market? I would say not too much at the moment. Yes, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Well, I suppose that the future is unknown. The Reserve Bank may well not lift the cash rate to 5.1% in line with peers. Um, we may or may not see another hike. That's not clear at this point. Um, possibly even by the time this goes to air, there'll be more information. But at the moment, anyway, um, cash rate's not up there. Um, there's also, I, I guess, um, there's there's mortgage buffers in place. Um, now, it, the, the RBA research did show that more than 40% of households have less than three months of mortgage buffers in place. But I think um, like a lot of this stuff is based on, you know, estimates really. It's estimates of borrowers with cost of living exceeding their income. And it's based on the old, uh, what they call the HEM measure, which um, you would know better than me, Chris, what that stands for, household expenditure measure i can't even remember the terminology but <laughs> it's um it, these are these are estimates at a macro level and I, look i guess there's two ways of looking at it firstly uh, when you get problems in housing markets um it's at the margin that that makes the difference it's those people um who really are getting into debt stress but i guess that overall um, most borrowers are absolutely fine so um i think the key point um and you have already nailed this is that if people think um, that interest rates are going to keep climbing, the property market is going to um, turn into a bit of a quagmire, um, then that could become a problem. Um, but that's not really what most households are seeing. They're looking across to the other side and um, they're expecting interest rates to start coming down at some point. And I think that, I mean, there's been other figures out this week on building activity. And that showed uh, uh, dwelling starts of 
fallen to decade lows. Dwelling commencements have also plummeted. Um, so, um, also dwelling completions have also plummeted. Um, so, the dwelling supply is just not keeping pace. If you actually look at those figures on an annual basis, we're probably building for population growth of about quarter of a million, but it's running at three times that. And households can see this, it's supply and demand. And um, I think that's what's keeping a lot of people in the market and not leading them to sell. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't got to that negative news cycle spiral. In fact, it's actually done the opposite, right? Um, you know, house expectations, if you look at the Westpac surveys, um, really started to change October, November last year, I believe. And um, people became much more confident around where uh, property prices are going. And then that flew, flew, that has flown through all the way through 2023. Uh, I just did an episode with Carlos Cacho, so, you know, on the Australian Property Podcast, which will come out in the coming weeks. And you know, we talked a lot about, um, you know, listings and, you know, the issues we're seeing with investors exiting the market. So unit supply, apartment supply is really high. You know, it's, you can't argue and say there's not many listings of apartments. That's, that's definitely the case. But detached housing is at really all-time lows. Um, and then the regions have got different problems. You know, the regions absolutely are starting to see a bit of inventory, a little bit of stock on the market that's building up. That, and the problem with that is that when people see a lot of things on the market, they go, well, there's no rush. I've got lots of choice. I can be patient. I can be picky. There's Prices aren't going up. Um, and uh, people are also more likely to sell in that market if they have to because they're going, well, I better get out now because this isn't going to go well in the future. So whereas if people say, well, actually, prices are going back up, maybe I should just hold on. I think there's that positive news cycle. Um, and you can already see that in the media. I think in a couple of months' time, it will be all over the media that we're at higher house prices than we were um, you know, pre-rate rises, which uh, will, will be a bit of a, a strange story in itself. Yes, I think I think if you look at where um, you mentioned the the, the mortgage cliff, um, well, as this plays out in full, I think if you look at total mortgage repayments um, as scheduled, they're going to be basically as high as we've seen any time in in recent history. So um, there, there's definitely going to be some pain, but I I think at this point anyway, it's mostly going to be seen in falling. Uh, retail expenditures. So people will cut back on costs. I think that's the thing with unemployment staying so low. Um, I mean, if you look at historically where mortgage arrears and defaults come from, uh, unemployment mainly. And sometimes if you get extended rental vacancies, then that can become problematic for landlords. But I mean, that's just not a factor. The, the um, SQM had some figures out for September. Vacancy rates are falling again. They've actually seen in October they've fallen to the lowest level on record. And um, Louis Christopher of SQM basically said, well, um, this is just going to continue. The population growth is running at, what, 650,000. Um, we're just yeah, dwelling completions are just nowhere near the pace they need to be at the moment. Um, so, yes, there might be some seasonal relief here and there, but, you know, the rental vacancies just aren't a factor. And also, I think that that leads some first-time buyers to decide to buy, I think, or at least try to, because uh, the rental market's so tight, it's so difficult to get quality rentals. And um, I guess if people are worried about climbing rents, then um, anyone who can afford to buy is probably going to be looking to do so. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the strongest things that underpin the house price growth or property price growth is the way that our rental system's structured, right? You can't get a long lease. Um, you know, the, the quality of properties aren't, aren't always available for the type or the size of the location that you want. And um, 
So, you know, that insecurity around being able to get rentals for what you need in your as your life changes and get long leases, you know, particularly when kids come along, um, if that was there, the people wouldn't be forced to buy as much. And I think what's the recent rental crisis is highlighting is that, you know, that danger is still there. If anything, it's even worse now because vacancies are really low. So that's making those people who are thinking, oh, maybe I'll just be a rent vester and I'll just rent where I want to live and invest. Well, maybe that's not as easy as it sounds. You know, people are going, well, maybe I do need to get home security. I do need to make sure I own a home because renting's not easy. You know, rents are going up. There's vacancies. I can get kicked out by the landlord regularly. That's not the life I want. I want to buy. And I think a lot of first-home buyers are seeing that because they experience a rental crisis, not just a housing affordability crisis at the same time. So let's go into story two, Pete. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so I guess this ties back to what we were just talking about. So population growth at record highs, but um, a huge part of that really is the return of international students when you look at the composition. And at some point, those international student figures are going to have fully normalised. And I guess following on from that, population growth will actually start to come down towards somewhat more manageable levels. At the moment, it's out of control, you know, 650 or 700,000. Um, but I guess it, when you actually look at the, the the graph or the chart, well, population growth uh, from migration basically went to zero. In fact, it was negative for a while because we were losing people. You know, the backpackers went home, the working holiday makers went home. We lost a lot of students, but now it's come absolutely roaring back. And interesting. Um, so Justin Fabo at Macquarie Group. Uh, did some really good analysis on that. And he's shown how from the international student figures, well, let's look at the visa numbers. They were running at um, up to about 550,000 or thereabouts pre-COVID. Then the student numbers basically halved and a lot of people were working or um, studying remotely anyway. Uh, now we've come roaring back to record highs, 660,000 in 2023. And if you look at the component parts of that, well, it's um, the the big growth has been in Indian students. So uh, the biggest number of students um, internationally still comes from China, but the growth in Indian uh, student visas, well, it's over 100,000 now, uh, 29% growth over the year. So that's an interesting one because um, India, certainly from a permanent migration perspective, has become a more and more important uh, piece of the pie for Australia in recent years, um, and um, India is now taking over from China, I guess, as a key uh, trading partner, but also, in particular, a key driver of population growth. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I mean, what a population over there there is, right? And the amount of wealth in India that's being created um, on a daily basis and the strength of the economy and just and the demographics behind. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a demographic expert, but I've looked at it before and it's pretty strong in terms of um, you know, I don't know what you call that chart where that's uh, a bit like a vase. You know, what's that uh, chart, Pete? You can help me here. But, I mean, yeah, the well, demographics. They, is- they, 
Yeah, yeah, they do call it a population pyramid, but as you said, very often it's not actually a pyramid shape these days, uh, depending on which country you're looking at. So, um, yeah, I mean, traditionally, you know, people didn't live all that long, but these days um, some countries are getting top-heavy, people living longer and don't have the uh, the births coming through. Australia is very lucky because our population pyramid um, is very strong in that 20 to 35 age bracket, largely because things like international students, young migrants coming in, and the way we've structured the visa, uh, the visa programs. Yeah, that's right. And the more that young people are working, the more people are working compared to the people that are retired, that dependency ratio is um, really important. You look at other countries, you know, China's got a problem there, you know, Japan's got a problem there, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just all about handling migration and, um, you know, I guess coming into a building crisis, you know, where we've already got low rental uh, vacancies, but housing affordability crisis. And now we're basically, I think we've got the next level is a building crisis. You know, there's a, it just doesn't make sense for developers to build um, unless things change, whether it's building prices, whether it's government um, incentives or governments put their hand in their pocket and say, I'm not going to collect those taxes anymore and give it back to the builders. Um, Maybe they change zoning. Maybe they allow developers to move from you know, townhouses to apartments. I think suburbs are going to have to shift to make feasibility study, uh, you know, feasibilities work. So, yeah, I think the next few years is going to be a, you know, yes, migration's great for our economy in lots of different ways, right? Um, but, you know, how do we actually handle that from a housing point of view? I mean, it was just back in pre-COVID, we were talking about our infrastructure wasn't keeping up, our roads, our trains, our, you know, our public infrastructure. But now I would say it's our our properties and our supply and uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation there whether it's uh, tax or whether it's um, zoning there's going to be some things that have to happen um, and I think that's a real power behind the YIMBY movement at the moment you know I think there's a real pressure on zoning changing not just on the fringes but also within the you know the inner rings of capital cities where a lot of people would like to live if they could find something. Absolutely yes yeah. so I think yeah managing the population flows is going to be the big challenge um, I, um, I've noted over the past year or two, so China used to be the biggest population in, in the world, but that's now sort of leveled off actually sooner than expected. India is now the biggest population over yeah. one and a half billion. Um, so there's a, there's a huge number of people. It, it doesn't take a big percentage, uh, shift, uh, in migration from those countries to really move the dial in a smaller population country like Australia. Um, it's not just um, Australia they're heading to. There's 800,000 international students studying in Canada, um, although um, I was reading this week that uh, there's some debate about whether the figure might be as high as 1.3 million. Um, but like in Australia, the main driver of the flood of Indian students, well, it's, um, it's the lure, I guess, of permanent residency um, and big increases in applications in some of the uh, states in Canada. I think, um, yeah, just from a, um, a dynamics perspective, and China has really been importing um, Australia's iron ore and coal and gas and all, all of our sort of minerals, I guess. India is probably going to be less of a driver um, for our mining exports. But, um, yes, in terms of um, residency, it does seem that um, that's a big driver for people coming over from India um, originally as students, but quite often uh, there's going to be pathways there for people to stay. And uh, from a permanent migration perspective, India's already taken over as the top dog, um, as a um, as the source country uh, for permanent migrants 
uh, to Australia. And, and there's, uh, there's a lot going on in the background um, here in terms of um, Albanese government policy. Uh, there's migration agreements been signed with India. Um, there's five-year student visas uh, for Indian students and there's no caps on that. So there's a whole load of stuff there that's just making those pathways easier. Um, the challenge, as you said, is that most new arrivals to Australia are going to be renters initially. Uh, mostly they're going to Sydney and Melbourne. And at the, at the moment, as you said, uh, the construction just isn't happening. The ABS figures this week uh, showed that. Um, I was interested to, to have a look at the number of dwellings under construction, Chris. This has been something that's been a head-scratcher over the last year or two. Um, we had a record number of dwellings under construction, about a quarter of a million or so. They're starting to, that figure's starting to come down. Um, but still, even now, there's still a lot of, uh, at least ostensibly, a lot of dwellings in the pipeline, but they're just not being delivered. And I wonder if that's just a, a function of the number of insolvencies um, in the sector. There's another big one went down uh, this week or went into liquidation in Western Australia. So practically every time we speak, there's another uh, significant building insolvency. So, um, yeah, we're just not getting the supply to to meet the demand, especially in the rental space. Yeah, and I think it's a bit unfair to blame the, the developers, not saying you are, Pete, but just in general that, you know, that developers should be building. Well, you know, they've had it pretty tough the last few years. You know, the rain, labour shortages, material prices, you know, a lot of them are on you know, trying to make a profit and then the fix, their costs went up dramatically and that their margins are not as big as people think. You know, their return on equity is decent, you know, the amount they invest and how much money they make on that money. But, you know, the margin of their total cost, you know, if things go slightly wrong, that job goes from, um, you know, profitable to unprofitable. And I think a lot of builders haven't been making the profitless boom was, was sort of the talk of the town over the last few years. And, like you're seeing, and a lot of people haven't been able to stay on. You know, their uh, insolvencies are at all-time highs in the construction industry. So I really feel for them. And so if I was a, a developer right now and I've got a piece of land that I could develop, but I'm not going to make a decent um, – and it's hard for me to sell them at the moment because unless it's for the cashed-up downsizer, it's not borrowing. who hasn't got borrowing capacity issues um, and really just wants that lock and leave. And if I'm building for the top end, absolutely. You know, you can see in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, people like Fortis – are doing, you know, enormous amount of developing. And um, you go around the premium suburbs of Melbourne, you would see similar, et cetera. But, uh, and the Gold Coast, you know, the Gold Coast, uh, you know, but there's $6 million for a big apartment in Gold Coast, um, you know, overlooking the water there. So they can sell that stuff. But, you know, the things that suit, you know, particularly first-home buyers, they just haven't got the borrowing capacity to make the numbers work. Um, and to be honest, they've got choice anyway. There's already enough apartments on the market that they could buy. So, yeah, it's a really challenging situation. Victoria's brought in this vacancy tax to target developers on undeveloped land. Um, I think that's just a, I don't know, I think that's a, not necessary really when you've, you can, yes, I think if someone's got a piece of land that they've held for 20 years and, um, you know, they're just sitting on it, but developers who have bought in recent years with the idea to develop, then the market shifted. It's hard to then say, right, now you've got to pay all this tax. Um, so... Yeah, so watch this space, but I can't see the building industry going um, ballistic over the next couple of years until borrowing capacity goes back up or prices fall. But both of the, uh, you know, materials and labour and things like that. But knowing, you know, talking to builders in the construction industry, the last thing they want to do is reduce their prices. They were already running on pretty low profit margins coming into this boom. So this is a chance for them to finally, you know, stay ahead. It's a great misnomer, isn't it? People talk about greedy developers, but it takes about 15 seconds of research to look at the listed companies 
and see what kind of margins they're operating on. And it ain't good at the moment. Um, now, construction cost, materials costs seem to have at last leveled out or almost leveled out, but there's still pressures there on wages um, because it's not just residential construction that's been uh, going like their clappers. It's also infrastructure, transport projects, mining. Um, so it seems unusual to be talking about labour shortages given uh, the the rate of population growth and immigration, but that's where we're at. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to see um, construction really lifting that much until uh, there's more confidence and prices are going up and we've reached the peak of the interest rate cycle. Um, so, yeah, lots of challenges there. Um, so, Chris, the third and final story this week, Investor Exodus gathers steam in Melbourne and Sydney. So this is interesting. Uh, AFR piece, I think it was Nyla Sweeney put this one out. Uh, low capital gains and a large increase in holding costs are prompting more residential property investors to bail out of inner Melbourne and the Sydney market. Um, data from CoreLogic shows. Yes, now Melbourne's um, inner city unit market has been a perennial underperformer, I guess, over the past dozen years. And I guess what this speaks to, Chris, is um, some of the cash flow sensitive investors uh, selling up. Um, some people have probably just had enough after poor performance after a long period of time. Um, the portion of investor owned listings across Melbourne City has ballooned to 60% over the September quarter, um, up from about 50% or so a year ago. So um, yeah, I think this kind of makes sense um, on the one hand, but then I guess pulling in the other direction, um, we saw the ABS lending figures and um, yeah, look, investor lending is now getting close to the 2015 peak. So it's rising again. Um, so we've got some investors selling up and I guess they'll be selling their their worst performers or their uh, sort of most underwhelming properties. But there's actually more investors coming back in as well. So maybe on a net basis, it's not quite such a dramatic story. Uh, I would say there's still a lot of more people leaving than entering. I think uh, Pippa did some research to show that um, how many investors have actually left the market over the last 12 months. And it's a lot compared to new investors entering. And that's uh, so. I think that's one of the reasons for this rental crisis is that there's just less rental properties in the market, and they're not selling usually to new investors. I would say I think they're selling to a lot of first-time buyers. But there is a lot of investors out there, but I don't know whether they're buying the apartments in Melbourne. I think you know up where you are, Pete. A lot of money's flowing to Brisbane um, because yields are higher, and um, I think people have realised. I mean, even this week, a client was talking about Melbourne apartments and. You know, you just look at it and you go, why would I want to buy there when there hasn't been a strong record, right, of capital growth? I think there's a people, and people have been switched on to this high density. I think they've realized now that it's actually not great investments. I've been banging on about it since 2012 um, and, you know, uh, talking people away from off the plan. And a lot of people were talking about how great it was to get depreciation. Well, you know, not if you're not getting any price growth, right? So, um, yeah, I think there is, there's some investors happening that, uh, first-time buyers that can't afford to buy their home are buying investment property. So that would go down as investor debt, even though it's really a first-home buyer. Um, now, they're not buying a home, they're buying an investment property. I would say there's also some people who would love to buy a home, but they have already got an investment property and can't afford to get a home they want. And so they're buying another investment property. Um, so they, they still haven't got a home. Um, so I think there's a bit of investor action, which is happening because borrowing capacities are really tight. 
um, and then they can't afford to get a home, so they're being forced to buy investment properties. But I would say that's not offsetting. So I don't think it's always those investors that have got their house and now they're looking to buy a building investment portfolio. I think sometimes people are forced there because um, yeah, they can't afford to get into the house or the you know, and they're still in the rental market. I think you're actually right, Chris. The ABS reports the value of investor lending. And yes, it's getting close to the 2015 levels, but that's nearly a decade ago now and prices are much higher. Um, so that doesn't necessarily equate to the same number of investors. And as you mentioned, um, a lot of investors might be looking at different price points, particularly um, for houses instead of apartments. So I think the the off the plan point is an interesting one because, as you said, it's now so widely known. Um, the risks of buying off the plan um, we know the risks are higher, statistically higher. It's not an opinion. Um, also, at the moment, who'd be buying off the plan when there's builders going bust? Um, you know, it's being reported in the media every week. Uh, sort of insolvencies across the sector, um, but that in itself is actually going to dampen the housing supply. Now, in the previous cycle, um, most of those medium and higher density projects got out of the ground, or at least many, I should say, got out of the ground because of investors from overseas but we've effectively taxed uh, the non-resident investors out of the market with the stamp duty surcharges it it does sort of beg the question where's the supply going to come from i've seen a few new stories about build to rent projects getting up and running uh, but at the moment it's only such a small portion of the market um that uh, yeah the supply is tight now and this also suggests that the rental market uh, crisis is not going away if we've got more investors leaving than coming in um so just to wrap up on the afr piece the portion of investor-owned listings also increased across geelong whittlesea melton bacchus marsh glenora casey south so it's not just a an inner city thing it's, it does seem to be across quite a swathe of victoria um some investors have just had enough and they're going to put their money to work elsewhere by the sound of it yeah, and if you're an investor that's got multiple properties, it's really hard to digest paying a big capital gains tax bill, right? So, you know, if you've got this place that hasn't performed that well, but there's a little bit of equity in it, maybe because you put in a deposit or you've built, you paid off the mortgage or it has been a little bit of growth in it, um, if you sell that property, you can free up a little bit of cash flow, which would be enough to get you through this window, right, This or a bridge to the other side and you know, to where potentially repayments. You're not going to go and sell your asset that has doubled and you're going to have to pay a couple hundred grand of capital gains tax. You're like, well, that's my good one. I want to keep that. I don't want to pay capital gains tax. Um, even though it would give me more cash flow, I, I would, I'm going to regret that. Um, and particularly now because that asset's probably performing quite well because it's probably got the fundamentals right. It's probably still got low listings. It's probably still got really strong owner-occupier demand. And you'd be like, well, if I sell that now, I sold it in 12 months' time, I'm going to regret it, versus that apartment that's just been length, never done anything for you. It's been a bit of a thorn in your side, even if it just gives you a little bit of reprieve for 12 months. That's better than a negative cash flow. It's already losing money for you, then losing more money for you. So, um yeah, I, I can see that the investors will definitely keep dumping in this stuff and that's going to really um, reduce the price growth in a lot of high density because there's not going to be an undersupply problem. And if, and if there's not price growth, then how are developers going to build? If there is potential price growth though, which is what's happened in Brisbane apartments prices in recent years, you'll also find that more listings will come because people have been holding on till it makes a profit, you know. Um, and so as soon as it's up on what they paid one day, then they're going to exit. And this is what's happened in 
Um, in Perth, for example, you know, a lot of people have you know started to sell in places where they've been underwater for 10 years, you know, so um, and listings will increase because finally people can close those loans down without having to put money in. So good, good stories this week, Pete. And um, yeah, anything else we need to cover? No, I think you're right. There's definitely a loss aversion thing there, isn't there? Like if you buy yeah. a, a property for 400000 people would hate to sell for three nine five. But if they can sell for four oh five, uh, suddenly it's a whole different equation. It's probably not very rational, but it does seem to be the way it works. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, the Fin Review piece, it, it cited some examples where, um, for example, Yarra, Yes, prices are rising for apartments now, but over five years, they've added just 1%. You know, so uh, there's no capital gains to speak of. And I think if people are getting into the black, they'd probably be looking to offload. I think as well, I mean, for Victoria, the, the land tax threshold has been reduced to just 50K. And um, there's also um, a 7.5% levy on short stay properties. And there's the vacant residential land tax. There's a lot of things there that are really saying investors not welcome. And uh, maybe on in that context, not that surprising that some people are looking to get out. So, um, yes, it's um, it's going to bring some supply onto the market, but it's not going to necessarily help with the rental crisis, which um, seems to be a story that's going to run and run. Um, so, I think that's about it for this week, Chris. So, uh, what have you got yep. up to? Uh, what have you got planned for the week ahead? Well, you know, on that point, Pete. Um, you know, if I was living in Melbourne and I wanted a house down the Mornington Peninsula which is a great place to live and it's very scarce land down there um, and, you know, over the longer term would do quite well. I think that's uh, the Victorian government basically targeted people with second homes and holiday homes and, um, you know, there could be a potentially Airbnb cap on days, let alone all these other taxes. And so if you're shopping for a place down there, maybe the next couple of years is a, is a good opportunity and even the second tier regions, um, you know, you are seeing listings go up in these locations and so you're getting much better buying um, and those those places will come back in vogue again, I guess, once, you know, hybrid work, remote work gets more and more embedded. When people get forced out of the capital cities again, they'll make these lifestyle shifts, particularly when there's confidence around rates and the economy and um, et cetera. So that will come back at some point. So it's an interesting opportunity, I would say, in these regions starting to build where, um, yeah, counter-cyclical to what's been experienced the last couple of years. Um this week, Pete, I've got a four-year-old birthday party on Sunday. I'm actually playing football on Sunday morning, which is a rare treat for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, just seeing some uh, – a friend's had another ba- uh, little baby as well, so that's going to be cute to, to meet her. So, yeah, a little family life going on here. What, what are you about yourself, Pete? Beautiful. Yeah, I'm just recovering from a, uh, a birthday party, so uh, hopefully got a bit of breathing space between <laughs> now and the next one. Yeah, I've still got ringing ears from that. So, uh, yeah, very quiet for me this weekend. Just going to try and catch the uh, the Rugby World Cup uh, semi-final. so we'll see how the poms go. Um, not holding out much hope, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. So uh, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. You can catch me at Pete Wardgen Blogspot, my daily blogger at Pete Wardgen on Twitter. And I think you know by now where you can find Chris at Blusk or drop us a note in the show notes. So, um, yeah, always uh, keen to hear your questions. Um, so uh, if you want to say hello, um, just do that. So thank you so much for joining and we'll see you next episode. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, Pete. Talk to you all soon. Happy Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. 
If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.